I'll get it from you later. Sorry, throwing stuff on the ground. Uh, good to see you all. If anybody's like me, that if you helped at Skills Jam, you're a little tired right now, right? It was a long week, but it was an amazing week. Uh, I just really, I don't want to steal the thunder later, they're going to share kind of information about what we saw in Skills Jam at the end of service, but I, I just want to thank all of you that helped and served or helped in any way with it. It was honestly an amazing week. Uh, I, I was very impressed with our church just seeing people step up, people serve, uh, people just going above and beyond in so many different ways. I heard nothing but positive reports from parents talking about how much their kids love the camp and the kids hearing the message of, uh, of salvation uh, about Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's just so cool to watch people using talents and gifts they have and, and using those to teach something to the kids. That it, it was just a different thing than, than they're ever used to seeing. And so thank you so much. And I want to remind you, again, they're going to make another announcement about this end, but at the end... But I want to remind you that tomorrow we have Creek Fest. And that's uh, not a party for us, okay? It's a party for the community. Just as Grant just shared about reaching our community, the whole thing about that is trying to reach people. And I can say this week alone, I've talked to several people in my life, my neighbor, guys I play basketball on Wednesday night, and I just told them about the event. I said, hey, we have this free event. I'd love for you to come out. And without a doubt, every person I've talked to said, hey, I think, I think I'll actually come to that. And so I'm just, I just want to challenge you in this. Invite one person. The worst they can do is say no. Anybody that gets upset with you for saying a free event for you, there's something else going on there. You must have really made them mad about something else. It's not the event, but make, make the invite. I encourage you to do that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16 is where we'll be. We are finishing 1 Corinthians today. Can you believe that? Uh, what an adventure. We have been going since the beginning of the year, oh, six, six months. This is the longest sermon series I've ever done, and you guys have not fired me yet. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, letting me get all the way through it. No, it was, I've, I've enjoyed it. Uh, but we are wrapping up 1 Corinthians chapter 16 to see exactly what, uh, how this book concludes. And it's interesting because a lot of times you get to the end of a book, they're, they're just wrapping up stuff. But I think there's significance to what Paul talks about today for us. That, that often we would just gloss over and miss deeper truth. Now, now before we jump into it, I have to ask real quick, uh, how, how many of you, uh, I've I got to know how many people have brothers and sisters in the room. We're going to start with this. If you're an only child, raise your hand. Let's get you out of the way. Lord bless you. No one cares. Enough. Put your hand down. We may not love you, but your parents do. It's all good. Uh, do, do me a favor. If you have any siblings at all, would you raise your hand? Sorry, only children, not trying to pick on you, nothing against you, okay? And keep your hands up, do me this favor. Uh, if you have uh, one or less sibling, put your hand down. We're going to see who has the most sibling. If you have two or less siblings, put your hands down. Three or less, four or less, five or less, Josiah, I'm, I'm think, I feel like you're going to win this, six or less, seven or less, eight or less, you're uncertain, you're not sure if you want to claim one or not, nine or less, no, I'm just kidding, T just sorry, oh, no, ten or less, uh, how many, how, how many you got, Dennis? Wow, wow, Lord bless your sister, um, <laughs> Josiah, Josiah, how many you got? You, you had to think about that. Seven sisters, four brothers. Wow. Uh, I had seven brothers and sisters. They were all step in half. And so growing up, a blend of a blended family, I was everything. At some point, I was the only child in the house. At another point, I had three siblings in the house. And I was the oldest. I was the youngest. I was middle. So I, I can identify with all you guys. I just want to say I can feel your pain and all this. And it sets up my next question is this. How has your relationship with your siblings different now from when you were kids? Think about that. When you were growing up with your siblings, what was your relationship like with them then 
versus now. Take a quick second with the person you're with. Share that real quick. Uh, some, some may be good. Some may be bad. I get that. We have a different uh, everybody in the room. But take a second. How is your sibling, your relationship with your siblings from then to now? You like them now. If you're still talking, it means you have bitterness, and we will have a time of confession after service. You can come and deal with that right now. I know how it is. I got brothers and sisters. I get it. Uh, Josiah probably hit the nail on the head when he goes, I like them now. Anybody else identify with that statement? It's funny watching siblings growing up. I think of uh, my cousins growing up who lived in West Texas, and I'd go twice a year to go see them when I visited my dad. And I had cousins that, that just seemed to hate one another, brothers and sisters that seemed to hate. I mean, they fought like cats and dogs, and, and I mean, just constantly competing, never getting along. And when I went to visit them, I could never hang out with them together because they couldn't get along. And so I'd go, and I'd have to hang out with one, play with one, or play with the other. But we could never do it together, and they just they, they seemed like they hated one another. It was, everything was competition. And what's amazing, now they're adults and everything's changed. They, they get along, they support, they look forward, they want to get, they want to spend time, they want to bring the family together. And it's funny, I see that often with people who grow up. You see as kids, we have this competitive nature, this nature of we don't like them, they're not for us, they're against us, even though we're family, to, to something when you grow older, suddenly it's like family matters. And, and I, I want to say this, I get not everyone has that same story. Some in this room, uh, and I, I understand this, have siblings that maybe that wasn't how it materialized. The reality is I, I talk about this, well, what changed for, for situations like my cousin's? for example. Well, as kids, the focus is on self. I'm trying to look better in my parents' eyes. I'm trying to do better than my sibling. i got to be better. So they are competition. They're a lesson. But, but as an adult, the focus changes to family. And I tell you this because here's the thing. Listen, the, the difference is this. It, it's maturity. And where's my connection where we're getting in 1 Corinthians chapter 16? Is today, I want to look at what Paul talks about maturity in a church, and it's this, is that maturity in a church, it, it, you begin to see a church maturing in this, where they begin to focus on family and not self. And the whole text talks a little bit about that. So let's read it, and I'll give you a big idea, and we'll unpack what I think Paul, uh, some examples they set. So 1 Corinthians chapter 16, this is at the very end of a very long letter. As a matter of fact, one of Paul's longest letters he wrote to a church of Corinth who's struggling to find their identity, who's struggling to hold on to truth of Scripture, and Paul, through the whole letter, is trying to bring them back to the, the, the foundation that matters, that they've gotten off track. And so he said all his hard stuff, and he ends with encouraging words. This is where, like, listen, I want to leave you off on a good note, and so let's see what he says. Chapter 16 says, Now, about the collection for the saints, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering so that no collections will be needed uh, to be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those you recommend to carry your gift to Jerusalem. Like if it's suitable for me to go as well, they, they will travel with me. I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I will be traveling through Macedonia. 
And perhaps I'll remain with you or even spend the winter so that you may spend, send me on my way wherever I go. Like, I don't want to see you now just in passing since I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost because of a wide uh, door for effective ministry has opened to me, yet many oppose me. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he has nothing to fear while with you because he is doing the Lord's work just as I am. So let no one look down on him. Send him on his way in peace so that he can come to me because I'm expecting him with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brothers, but he was not at all willing to come now. However, he will come when he has an opportunity. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. Like brothers and sisters, you know the household of Stephanus. They are the first fruits of Acacia, and they have devoted themselves to serving the saints. I, I urge you, also to submit to such people, to everyone who works and labors with them. I'm delighted to have Stephanus, uh, Fortunus, and Achaeus uh, present, uh, present, Sorry, because these men have made up uh, for your absence. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, that they're rec- therefore recognize such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla send you greetings warmly to the Lord, along with the church that meets in their home. All the brothers and sisters send you greetings, like greet one another with a holy kiss. This greeting is in my own hand, Paul. If anyone does not love the Lord, a curse be on him. O Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with all of you in Christ Jesus. Now, this is real easy just to read his ending and say, this is not really for us, but I think there's a lot for us here. Make no mistake, this is, this is a letter. When you read the Bible, you have to understand the genre of the book you're reading or it's going to be extremely confusing. If you've ever read the Old Testament and you've read like the book of Leviticus, you're like, this is confusing because it's law. It's a law written. It's, it's like literally reading legal code is what it is. And if you don't understand that framework, that mindset going in, it's going to be confusing to read. If you try to read Psalms or Proverbs as, as a narrative, it's confusing because it's not. It's wisdom literature and it's poetry. You have to understand the genre of what you're reading. This is a letter, as though I picked up a letter sent to you in the mail, looked at it, and I have to understand what's going on and what the language means to you. And we have to do the same when we come to God's word. Understand that's how it was put together. But the big idea, once you see what Paul, I think, is doing here is this. A mature church will value the big C church. How do we know when we receive our, uh, pursuing maturity as a church, we begin to value the big C church? Well, what does that mean? That's a terminology. It's a very churchy term, if you will. Big C church versus little C church. It means this. We, North Point, are a little C church, part of a bigger C church. In other words, the churches around us are part of the bigger C church trying to work towards the same mission, vision, goal as us. We're trying to propitiate and send forth the gospel. We're trying to reach the world. It's not by us doing better, them doing worse, we win, or vice versa. It's if they lose, we lose, and if we win, they win. And it's that mindset. And the sign of maturity is you begin to understand it. It's ultimately this, that the church is more than just North Point. Now you might be saying, is that really an issue North Point has? Do we look at other people as competition? I'll say this, in the time I've been the pastor, not because of me, just because I've seen change, we, we've gotten better at that. But at one time, th- this was a huge ordeal. I'll never forget uh, several years back when North Church, if you know who's on Memorial Road and stuff, tried to plant a church up in this area, actually at Deer Creek Schools. And people got really upset by that because it was confusing. 
all the time when I tell people what church I'm a pastor, I'll say North Point. And they go, oh, is that the one off Memorial? I'm like, no, we're, we're up in Deer Creek. But when they actually set up shop up here, people were upset. Like, this is so confusing. Why would they do this? Why would they not ask permission? Why would, I remember them having signs right over here on Coffee Creek in MacArthur and people being upset because they said North Church put in that way. It's like, they're diverting people away from our church. We should destroy those signs. Like, let's, let's just riot and do it. But the reality is this. Listen, it does, not, it's, it does not matter. They are not competition with us. And last time I checked, I've looked around, and all of Deer Creek is not in our church. It means there are more people to be reached, and we cannot do it on our own. Now, I'll say even in my own heart, it's hard for me sometimes when I see success at church not to look at myself and go, what am I doing wrong? Man, did I do it better than them? And I have to check my motives in my heart and say, listen, I should be celebrating what's going on at that church. Chapter 16, let me just say this, isn't a command Paul is giving us, but rather an example being set by the early church. In other words, they're showing what was of value to them, and there's wisdom in following their example. Uh, Just last week, did Skills Jam, and I hid under the umbrella of Tom Webb out there coaching the kids at basketball and stuff, and we're we're co-coaching. I'm like, you do it. You tell me what to do. I'm following your lead, bro. That's all I'm doing. As he takes kids out there, he said this, and Tom, I know you didn't know I was going to quote you today, but I am. He's telling the kids this. He says, listen, if you want to become a better athlete, this is what you do. He says, find someone better than you and copy what they do. If we want to be a better church, what do we do? We find someone better than us and copy what they do. What do we do? We look and say, what did the early church see as valuable? Let's do what they did. And so looking at well, what's the example the early church set? What, what do they point to? And in this text, there's four things I want to show you that I think they showed and what it looks like to be big C church-minded. The first is giving. The second is sending. The third is affirming. And the fourth is encouraging. We're looking at all four of those in text where you see this example being set by the early church. Like when it comes to other churches, we want to give, we want to send, we want to affirm, and we want to encourage. Look at the first one, verse 1 through 4. Look at the giving. They were big C church minded in their giving. It says, now about the collection for the saints. Do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. First you have to ask is, what's this collection he's talking about? We don't exactly know. They don't really talk about it, but you have illusions in the scriptures we might think. It could be because of poverty is unknown what's going on. The early church in Jerusalem, they're saying, we don't know. It could be a result of a famine. We see in Acts chapter 11 that a famine hit them so hard that they were struggling, saying, listen, they need help. We need to send them income. We need to help support what's going on. It could be that the Jews there were, uh, the Jewish Christians who professed faith in Jesus Christ were being ostracized for their faith, and people would not purchase for them because they were new converted Christians. And so because they were living out their faith, it's affecting every inch of their livelihood and causing them to be tempted to go back into hiding and say, listen, we need to support this church. It could be from early on in chapter 7 when you had the stoning of Stephen and began having mass persecution. The church began to spread, but you have a remnant that stays in. We don't know, but regardless of whatever it is, we come to realize everyone knows what's going on because Paul doesn't need to explain what's going on. They seem to understand there's a need there. And and, and I love, he's like, it's our responsibility to help them. It's our responsibility to support them. We shouldn't look at them and say, man, you're on your own. Man, it sucks to be you. No, he's like, listen, we need to be a part of what's going on. I love, he alludes to a letter. He says, do the same as I instructed the Galatian churches. The book of Galatians was actually written before this, and most people believe this letter had circulated the churches And Corinth is one of the churches they believe that actually got this letter and had read it and was become familiar with it. Now, now, now what's going on? Notice Paul's instructions in giving. He he gives several instructions. 
He says, do the same as I instructed the Galatians church. You see, when it comes to giving other church, it's not just me-centered, it's church-centered. It's something we collectively do, saying, how can we come together and support those other churches and help them? Not just you, not just you, hey, this person's wealthy, they should do it by themselves, but we as a church are supporting this all together. He says, I want it to be regular. He says, on the first day of the week, almost like a regular offering, I want you to have a habit, a pattern. It's not a one-time collection love offering. He says, listen, I want you to keep on collecting and keep building this up so we can send something of substance that can help them. It's like saying, oh, you're dying of thirst. Well, here's a tiny bottle of water. Good luck. No, we want to dig them a well so they can survive. He says, I want you to do it regularly. Not, Not just that. You see, it involved everyone. He says what? He says, each of you is to set something aside and save what? In keeping how he is prospering. It involves everyone and it's proportionate. Too often we get the idea that giving like this involves the wealthy. God's obviously blessed you, so it's your job to give. And he's like, no, I want everyone to give as a proportion to how God has blessed you. If God has blessed you with a small percentage, give a small percentage, but you be faithful in however God has blessed you. And finally, he says, there's careful in its handling. He says, when I arrive, I will send the letters and those who you recommend to carry uh, them to Jerusalem. You see language that talks clearly kind of like an offering, almost a tithe coming together here as a church. He's like, I want you to be very thoughtful in how you do it. I want you to be very intentional. I want everyone to be a part of it, and I want you to do it with dignity and careful. I love with our giving, I have people often come who have maybe had bad experience and say, well, what about your giving? What about our our budgets? Like, listen, we're a transparent book. If you want to see our budget, we want you to see. We want to be diligent in what's going on. Now, the natural question that comes to this text is this. Is Paul talking about a tithe here? Is this a tithe? Is this a command for us as Christians to tithe to the church? Let me say it like this. Yes and no. (laughs) What, What do I mean? Yes, these same principles apply when it comes to tithing in the church. But Paul doesn't talk specifically about tithing because tithing is assumed to be taking place in the church. This is speaking to a specific collection above and beyond their tithes. I'll say this. If you are a member of this church and you have come to say, this is where God has led, I have committed to the membership of this church, you have an obligation to tithe faithfully to this church and what's going on. And I can show you scripture after scripture. If you're a guest, please feel no obligation to give here. If you want to do it as an act of worship here because you believe in what we're doing, man, by all means, do it. But we don't want you to feel that, that, that compulsion to do that. Reality is he's talking about a specific collection for people for specific means. The, the question comes back to this. Does our giving reflect God's generosity to us? To, to you. Do, do we give to where we say, listen, a church down the street is struggling? And do we look at them and go, man, I'm sure glad it's not us? Or do we feel a sense of responsibility like, listen, we should do something about that because the church is bigger than myself? It's not just North Point, it's more than us. One thing I've seen to be true in, in my life, and I'll speak from simply that, is that poor generosity is often a result of poor stewardship. Emily and I, when we first started ministry, I'm ashamed to say this, but I'm going to confess it. Our, our first eight years in ministry, we, we barely tithed at all. And, and a lot of it for us was because we were not stewarding our finances. We had no budget. We were just kind of going by the seat of our pants. And by the end of the month, we had no money left. And we're like, well, God, I'd give you money, but there's no money left in the, in the pocket. I can't do anything. We just need more if we had more. And every time we got more, guess what? We got to the end of the month, and we didn't have enough. It always happened. 
We made excuse after excuse. Well, we're serving the church. That's an offering. And we began to justify all sorts of things. It wasn't until we finally sat down in our household and said, you know what, we're not managing God's gifts to us wisely. When we went through Dave Ramsley's Financial Peace University, we began to say, we, we need to take control of our finances. And we began to steward our finances and begin to give as the first fruits. Listen, I'm not saying as a brag, it's more of a confession. Like, we have not missed a tithe yet because God has, con- has realized, listen, we can steward our finances well. And a lot of times in your life, it's not that God hasn't blessed you. It's that you have not faithfully stewarded what your finances well. And it's clear here, we see an example of a church when it comes to giving, not only is our church responsibility, but we have a sense of how can we help the big C church. So the second thing you see is sending. Look at verse 5 through 12. Not only were they big C church minded in their, in their giving, they, they were in their sending. In verse 5 through 12, Paul begins to talk about his desire to come. He says, I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I'll be traveling through Macedonia. And perhaps I'll remain with you uh, or even spend the winter so that you may see, uh, send me wherever I go. Like, I don't want to come now because it'll be a short visit, but I hope to stay, and I, I, I intend to come longer. Now, now you've got to understand, Paul right now, as he's writing his letters on a second missionary journey, and you can actually read about Acts chapter 15 through 18. And, and he went, as he's going, traveling through, he goes through Corinth and then travels across to Ephesus. Put that picture of that map, if you don't mind. I know it's hard to see up here. Ephesus is right up here. So, zoom in on the next map right there. Ephesus is where that yellow arrow, Corinth is right there. This is a map, absolutely, of his third missionary journey. On his second missionary journey, he actually went around, didn't go to Ephesus, and then sailed across to Ephesus. And when he's writing this letter, and, and you see him somewhere in Acts chapter 15 to 18, as far as the narrative of what's going on, he, he's writing from Ephesus to him. And he's like, I intend to come to you again, and I want to come. But we realize that in his third missionary journey, you see here, he, he doesn't get to make it to him. As a matter of fact, if you turn to 2 Corinthians, you see in the beginning, Paul addresses one of those things, like, I want to come, but I got delayed. I intend to come to you, but I wasn't able to make it. Why wasn't he able to make it? When you see in Acts chapter 19, you see riots break out in Ephesus, and he feels the need to stay there. Paul's like, listen, I desire to come to you. I, I want you to see something when it comes to sinning. In regards to sinning, Paul was willing to go himself. Too often we're like, it's other people that need to go. That church is needed. Someone else, someone else was called. Paul felt a sense of obligation for himself. I, I will send myself. I will come to you. Not only was he willing to send himself, you see in verse 10, 11, he was willing to send his brightest and his best. Who's he sending? He says, Timothy, if Timothy comes to you, see that he has nothing to fear being with you. Paul really valued Timothy. As a matter of fact, listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 2, 19 through 22 about Timothy. He says, now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by the news about you. Listen to what he says. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel like a son with a father. When it comes to sending, sometimes we're like, listen, we'll give the scrubs, we'll give the B-teamers. We want to keep the best of the best for ourselves. But Paul's like, listen, I'm going to send the best and the best to you. I'm going to send the ones who are going to make the biggest difference in the kingdom of God. Where I see churches fall apart is we begin to hoard people for ourselves. And and listen, it's hard to say goodbye or send people on in relationships, but that's what stymies the growth of the kingdom of God. We look at other people like, I don't want to lose you for myself, and so I'm going to keep you for myself. But yet Paul was willing to go himself. Paul was willing to send the best he had. And not just that, you see in verse 12, he's willing to encourage other people to go. He says, now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to come with you, brothers. 
but he was not able or willing to come right now, but he will come later. Paul's encouraging people to go to him. Well, let me say it like this. Listen, when it comes to sending people, are we willing to send and be sent? Are you? If there came a day where we actually fulfill our mission, we believe God's called us to multiply a church, how many of you would honestly be willing to say, I will go. I'll be a part of that church. Or will our comfort keep us where we're at? And what scares me right now, you know why I know we're, we're not where we need to be? Because when it even talks about trying to start other connecting groups and stuff, right now we fight, and you're like, man, I don't want to lose this. I don't want to do this. And it starts on the microcosm level before it goes bigger. Are, are we willing to go ourselves? Are we willing to send our brightest and our best? Are we willing to encourage others to go, or do we fight against it? We get so stuck on us. The third thing you see is affirming. Look at verse 15 through 18. Paul says this, brothers and sisters, like you know the household of Stephanus, they are first fruits of Achaia, and they devote themselves to serving the saints. I urge you also to submit such people and to everyone who works and labors with them. Like I'm delighted. He's propping up leadership. Paul's affirming leadership at the church of Corinth. Make no mistake, Paul throughout this letter has had to defend himself as a leader and someone to be recognized and be worthy. All throughout he's trying to prop himself up. Think, think of how difficult this would be for Paul potentially to be propping up other leaders in the church when in reality he could have the Messiah complex. Like, I don't want you to listen to them. I want you to listen to me. That, that you need to follow what I do. I'm the best of the best. You don't need to listen to them. Some people think the reason Paul's doing this is because Corinth had no church leadership. They had no elders. There's nowhere mention of them in the book of Corinth. And Paul's trying to set them up saying, hey, listen, you need leadership in the church. These people are people that, man, I affirm they're good. Too often we have, I, I'll say I do this with the same thing, where we have Messiah complex. It needs to all be about me rather than affirming new leadership and new people. Let me say it like this. Do we recognize and affirm the giftedness of other leaders in churches? Why is it that to make us, ourselves feel better about ourselves, we have to chop down those who are doing well? Why is it we have to go to people and say, listen, they're seeing success. Man, they're a poor leader. Ah, they're, 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 there's all sorts of reasons why they're wrong and not doing a good job. Even in church, if we see other groups doing better, other people doing better, we have to chop them down to make ourselves feel better about them. When in reality, we should be supporting what's going on. If you are a guest here, I want to tell you this, we are not the only church here. Our, our desire is to see you in a church. If it's our church, praise God, we would love to have you here. But if this is not a good fit, can I tell you something? There are other churches around we would love to connect you with. We try to do stuff together because we believe in the Big C Church. It's not just about us. And we don't want to see our church grow big and other churches shrink. That doesn't work in the kingdom of God. That's a tactic of Satan destroying the church. We want to see the church grow. And it comes from us giving towards other churches and helping what's going on. It comes from us sinning. It comes from us affirming and not cutting down other Christian leaders and other Christian people. And the last thing you see in verse 19 through 24 they do is this. They're encouraging. Look what they say. This is the churches of Asia send you greetings, Aquila and Priscilla. They send you greetings warmly in the Lord along with the churches that meet their home. Like all the brothers and sisters send you greetings, greet another with a holy kiss. Now, if we're going to be biblical, do we need to start implementing this back into church practice of holy kisses, right? No, we're not going to do that. It's a practice, obviously, back then. I, I don't even feel comfortable with hugs, I'm going to be honest with you. So this is really crossing the line for me. Since this greeting is in my own hand, Paul. Most people believe Paul had a scribe writing his letter for him, most likely Sosthenes. At the very end, he's writing in his own hand. Like, hey, I want you to know, this is from me. I'm writing with my own fingertips right here what's going on. He's showing that other churches are encouraging what they're doing. 
Guys, we believe in you. You can do it. Like, don't quit. Like, other people, they, they think you can do this. You can do it. He makes sure of it. How often do we see ourselves honestly cheering on other churches to succeed? I think when I was a student minister, I was a student minister from 2014 to 2018, uh, and it was a blessing to get to lead the, that area. And I remember preparing for Falls Creek, which, guilty plug, Falls Creek is not next week, but the week after, so look forward to that coming up. But I remember in 2015, we went to Falls Creek, and we had a theme uh, for our week was called Threads. And in the thing, the idea was just talking about how we need to do this together. We need to work together. We're going through the book of Philippians talking about it. As a matter of fact, our motto was this, we before me. We before me. Guys, listen, it can't be best. We before me. And in that summer, I had an intern working with me named Ben Woodson who was helping. And so we sat down and began to process, and we came up with this idea. I said, hey, listen, I, we have an idea that I think would be a great illustration if we get home. Because every day during the morning, kids would play games against one another. In the evenings, we do teaching. And so the first year Ben went with, with me, man, there was extreme, like kids were getting cutthroat in these competitions, like getting irate. You ever know those people that are poor losers and winners? We had all of them in one cabin. It was crazy. Every single kid was bad. And so we made the decision, said this year we're going to do another thing like this. And we made games. We, we made games strategically set that where everyone could win. But if you had a competitive mindset trying to cut the people down, you would do that. And we told the kids, whoever won, whichever group won, at the end of the week, we'll go get fried pies. You know what I'm talking about? That's a, that's a Baptist win right there if I'm telling you something. And all week, man, we're like, this is not going to work. They're going to catch on. They began to do this games, and they were cutthroat. They were getting angry. They were, like, we had to settle them down each day. Like, you guys got to chill. And the whole time, leaders are freaking out, and me and Ben are like, oh, my gosh, it's working. Our plan's working. And we got to the end of the week, and we sat down and began to show them, say, hey, guys, did you guys really pay attention to the rules and instructions we gave you? You realize every single one of these things was not about you winning. It's about everyone accomplishing together. But yet you became so competitively minded that rather than the people across from you being a partner, they were competition. It was an amazing thing to see. I say it like this, listen. Do we celebrate privately and publicly the success of other leaders in churches? When we see life church, do we look at them and go, they're, they're terrible, they don't do it right, they don't do it like us. Yeah, they may do it differently, like, you know what, they're, they're making strides for the kingdom of God, praise the Lord. Do we encourage them when, we're, when, when they're discouraged? I have a pastor friend that's another church in the area. He's discouraged right now, and I've been reaching out like, hey, man, listen, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. You know, it's tempting sometimes to go, you know what, maybe if their church folds, maybe we'll get some people. And that's Satan in my heart sometimes that comes to that, and I turn my eyes like, listen, they need encouragement. We need more people in the ministry not quitting. We need people going. I'll never forget, and I, I know I've quoted him before, but J.D. Greer once said this. When he went to his church in Summit uh, in Rowlett, North Carolina, named Summit Church, he remember going there, and he was so passionate for the Lord, and he said, God, man, I, I, want, I want revival to break out here like never broke out before. God, would you just make revival happen? And he said, I remember clear as day, God speaking to my heart and said, J.D., what, what about this? What, what if I had revival break out in Raleigh, North Carolina, but like that has never been heard before? And in years and years to come, people were writing about the revival that took place. But I did it in the church down the street, not yours. Would you feel like I answered your prayers? And J.E. said, he remember it cutting him to the heart. And he said, no, because I want it in my church. And he said, it was a rude awakening that I was not trying to build God's kingdom. I was trying to build my own kingdom. And as a church, listen, maturity 
is we don't just see our church, we see every church. And you realize, listen, if they fail, we fail. No matter what our numbers, what happens in here? It's not about our own success. It's about God's success. And we should mourn when churches close down, which they're closing down every single week. We should mourn when we see leaders fail and quit. We should mourn when churches struggle. We should celebrate when they see success. Because a mature church will value the big C church. That's, that's what he's getting at, I think. That's the example you're seeing here. A mature church will value the big C church. Don't forget Satan's tactics. The two times we see Satan show up in the picture in Genesis chapter 3, what does he tell Eve? You can be your own God. You don't need him. You, you, you. It's all about you. It tries to get her to be center focused, all about me. When Jesus was tempted when he came out of the wilderness, what did he do? Like, listen, I, I will make your name great. I can make it all about you, 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 and try to make it all about himself. His tactics have not changed. Satan, till to this day, is trying to get us to become a self-absorbed church. And can I just say this? Listen, a self-absorbed church is an ineffective church. And the great success Satan can see is huge numbers, huge success at this church, and us being content with every other church around us dying. Reality is Satan wants us, I mean, God wants us to see every other church successful and us supporting each other. And I tell you this, it's all about cooperation. I know you may see in the news a lot of drama and stuff around like the Southern Baptist Convention and stuff going on, but listen, why, why do we cooperate with them? Because there's something about being involved with other churches trying to accomplish a bigger mission. And I got to go to the convention and see stuff, and it's amazing. It's sad some of the drama that came up is what got put in the headlines, and the reality is there's so many great things that took place. While I was there, I got to see 79 new missionaries get commissioned to the mission field right in front of me. We, we, our money, part of our tithes goes towards this, this offering on the International Mission Board, sending missionaries all over the world. Do you know they sent out 79 new missionaries who will be joining 3,521 other active missionaries along with their 2,700 children? That's going on right now, serving in 122 nations. And by us giving through that, allows us to partner with them. In 2022 alone, the International Mission Board, listen to this, we're in 122 countries. 728,589 people heard the gospel because of their work. 1,788 people uh, became new believers. And, and listen, here, here's why I'm telling you this, because listen, I don't care how well we were doing financially, how great we are, for us to be able to afford to pay missionaries to go around and do what they're doing, we could never do that on our own. But by us working together with other churches allows us to be a part of what's going on. Just the North American Mission Board right now, there are 917 people. They're inside the United States being sent right now trying to plant churches in places unreached. One in Salt Lake City, Utah, where Ellen Bernhardt's son is going on right now. In there trying to start churches where it is completely unreached. And that is part of what our money and things go towards right there. Just in 2022 alone, 2,962 missionaries are currently serving in there. And they started literally thousands of churches this last year. All because of what's going on. And what's going on naturally is trying to split apart and faction us apart and get us focused again on ourselves. We're missing, listen, we need to cooperate somewhere. If we come to a point and say, that's not it, then, then where's it going to be? Because we can't be so focused. I want you to watch this video just to give you an idea where the giving goes towards that. When you give your tithes to your church on Sunday, your giving is an act of worship and obedience to the Lord. But when you give, did you also know that you are giving to advance the gospel around the globe across the nation, in our state, and in your neighborhood? It's true when your church gives through the cooperative program. 
Here's how it works. To make this easy to follow, let's say you give $10 to your church on a Sunday morning, and your church has decided to send 10% of that money through the cooperative program. $9 of the money you give will remain at your church to be used in support of your church's gospel ministry, staff, facilities, and many other ministries in your community. And $1 of your gift is sent on an amazing journey through the cooperative program, fueling a broad range of important ministries everywhere. The first 42 cents of that dollar stay right here with Oklahoma Baptists, funding our shared ministries. If you have been to Falls Creek or Cross Timbers, participated in BCM on campus, or witnessed the Oklahoma Baptist Disaster Relief Team and other ministries, then you've seen the cooperative program in action. The next 15 cents of your dollar continues on to Oklahoma Baptist University, Water's Edge, Oklahoma Baptist Homes for Children, Baptist Village Communities, serving our orphans, widows, and equipping future Christian leaders. The next 43 cents of your dollar is allocated through the Southern Baptist Convention, which uses two cents to support the ministries of the convention and forwards the rest on. Nine cents goes to our six Southern Baptist seminaries to train up our future pastors and missionaries. 10 cents goes to the North American Mission Board to help plant churches, coordinate sin relief, and bring the gospel to our nation through evangelism. And 22 cents goes to the International Mission Board to send and support more than 3,500 missionaries around the globe. But we're talking about more than just $1. When your giving is combined with the gifts given through nearly 1,800 Oklahoma churches and 50,000 SBC churches across the nation, the impact of the cooperative program is multiplied because we work and give together. Giving through the cooperative program is the one thing we can all do that impacts everything we do as Oklahoma Baptists. Thank you for your faithfulness. I show you that because a lot of people get confused and think being a Southern Baptist is a domination. It's, it, it's a cooperation. And if we ever came to a point and said that's not a good fit, well, where are we going to cooperate with? Our church, through our giving, gives this year, I think we're, we're scheduled to shoot, give about $19,000 towards cooperation to help with that. Those 79 missionaries I got to watch were our missionaries that we're sending. Those are our people. And we're a part of what's going on with that. Now, now can I say, I, I don't say that, but I say that, I say we, we at least have a baseline of something. But I feel like God's called us to more. But when I see missionaries, I dream someday that we'll send people from our church to other churches around the world to do missions. That'll be us someday. I see other churches someday around us being affirmed, knowing that North Point is encouraging them when they're struggling, times are hard, and that we're willing to send people to them. We're willing to be those people. We don't see them as competition. We celebrate their success. And it all goes back to our vision that Grant talked about, what we do. It's developing, reaching, multiplying. We want to develop people so that we can help reach other people, and that eventually we can multiply and send out people. But it takes people taking it seriously. And for whatever reason you see in the early church, there, there is an importance to understand the church is not just about us. And the more self-focused, the more narrow-minded we get, the more we're losing the vision Jesus called us to do. And, and so my challenge to you is this. What, what, what are we going to strive towards? Are we going to get so focused on just our building and what's going on here that we miss the kingdom aspect that God called us to? And it starts with your own tone, your own words. Quit looking at other churches as competition and braiding them down. Man, how can I pray for these other leaders? How can I encourage? How can I stop fighting against these things and start working towards it and being part of what's going on? I'm going to ask if you just bow your heads and close your eyes and just spend a second with the Lord and just ask you to process this. When it comes to being focused on God's kingdom work, 
Is my gaze just set on North Point? Is my gaze just set on my connecting group? Is my gaze just set on my family? Is my gaze set on just myself? How can you intentionally this week encourage, support, affirm, send someone in your life uh, that needs it? For some of you, this may be a private conversation you need to have, like, man, what, am I willing to sacrifice my desires and wants for the greater cause? Maybe use the connecting group, need to talk, hey, listen, are we really doing this? Or are we fighting against it? It's us as a church, as leaders discussing, are we going to really pursue this? If you're a guest, listen, we, we want to help you find a church. If it's ours, great. If not, we want to help be a part of that conversation. There are great pastors and churches around us. We'd love to connect you with them. But we've got to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Father God, I pray. I pray 1 Corinthians was encouraging to this church. I pray you stir in us something bigger than ourselves. I pray that whole letter remind us what happens when we get away from what your word tells us to do and what happens when we get away from the vision you've called us to. So God, I pray we'd sacrifice whatever those things are in our life that are not yours. We've been holding on to something that contradicts your word in our life and we try to affirm it. God, I pray we'd sacrifice those for you because you called us, you're worth it. God, if we've been fighting against the mission that you've called us to, to go make disciples of all nations, God, I pray we'd give that up for you and we'd start serving your calling. God, let us be a church, a people known for you and not for the greatness of ourselves. God, stir us to action. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to spend some time worshiping. I'm going to have the leaders around. Maybe you just need someone to pray for you, encourage you, because you're like me, that sometimes you struggle with that, that attitude in your heart. You get bitter at other churches, other people and stuff, and you just have struggles supporting. Like, maybe you need to confess that today. Or maybe today you've come to the realization that, you know, you're, you're not even a Christian. You haven't even come put your faith in Jesus Christ. You need to respond to that. We'll have leaders available. I'll be up here. We've got leaders in the back. We've got other elders to be around, but you respond. But I'm just going to ask you to respond. So let's see.